the fire. Welcome to Through the Fire, cutting through the passions, clearing the smoke of the cultural confusions of the world today. Talking God's love and God's solutions from a biblical Christian worldview. And now, here's your host, Marie and Gregory Seltz. <laughs> well, hello, hello. I'm Greg, and Marie is not with us today. She's traveling on the road, and I'm filling in for both of us today. And, and I want to say, you know, it, it feels it feels weird already. In fact, usually when the intro is playing, I do some silly things. I'd get her laughing, and it always gives us kind of a, a joy to, to come into the program. So it, it feels a little strange, although um, I have our esteemed uh, call screener and engineer extraordinaire. Dave is with me. Dave, how you doing today? I'm right here. I'm doing fine. You're doing, doing fine. fine. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to be sidekicks, buddy. I don't, I don't know that I have much to add, but I guess <laughs> no, I, no side. I, can, I can be a sounding board anyway. A sounding. I see. I like that. You are a sounding board as a sounding engineer. <laughs> no, anyway, so it's great to be here. Uh, I love coming into studio and talking about these things. So while she's away, uh, you know, I thought, well, let's just do something. Let's do it. You know, do this. Go solo. Um, but one of the things that caused me to realize is why we actually decided to do Through the Fire, because Marie and I have been together for, for almost 37 years, okay? And in a variety of ways, because I'm a pastor, she's a, um, a psychologist, you know, a variety of ways, been in the business of trying to help people in one way or another for all those years. But it been in some pretty incredible places with some interesting, diverse, incredible people. And we've learned a lot. We've shared a lot. And, and so one thing we do a lot is over a cup of coffee each day. We talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, it's it's actually the most fun time of the day. We get up uh, early, put the pot on, and we just kind of sit looking out the the back. We have kind of a sunroom, and and we we start to talk about these things. Sometimes it can be just basic stuff happening in the day. Sometimes spiritual things, biblical things. Sometimes political things. So you know, we just thought, hey, how about putting a podcast together? Because you know, the things that we have learned over time, maybe they might be a blessing to our listeners. So in many ways, we have been through the fire, and we do realize the power of the fire of faith and truth that burns. So I want to welcome you as she would. I want to welcome you to Through the Fire, best the way I can, and to let you know that we are on the case, talking about the tough issues in the culture, facing them with some psychological, political, even especially today, too, theological explanations and applications that we hope will bless. And so we're going to get to a topic today that I think is foundational to a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this program. Because no matter what Marie and I are talking about, we always get to that point in the discussion, whether it's political, cultural, psychological stuff, we always seem to get to that underlying question, um, by whose authority? Because when you think about it, that's always the big question in all the issues that we face. Uh, We just saw this play out in the questioning of the potential Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown. I mean, when you think about some of this stuff, the first thing she said was really interesting. She said it's settled law, and she was talking about abortion. And I was like, what do you mean settled law? Because she's talking about some controversial issue that's really not in the Constitution whatsoever. And if it is, we have to put it through by an amendment process. Well, she's talking about this. Well, that's settled law. there's There's no going back. We can kill babies in the womb. That's just the way it is. But then when asked about whether the 
Constitution itself is settled law. No, it's more of a living document. We have to interpret it. Sometimes it says this, but we mean that. And so you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. By whose authority did you just change all these things? And... Um, so again, when you when all these, in fact, even when she said something, I guess they asked her, um, and Dave, I can't even. It, it's surreal. What is a woman? And a supreme, a potential Supreme Court justice said, "I can't answer that question." I don't know about you, but I, were, were you shocked by that? Well, I'm shocked by that. Part of what I'm shocked by is that your question is by whose authority? By right. whose authority do you say these things? Right, right, right. Even if somebody who was asked that and they're honest enough to say, well, by my own authority. Right. You know, we are we are humans. We were evolved. We, we're here now. Right. We're masters of our own destiny. And we make up the rules as we go along. Right. Even if you get to that point where they're that honest about it, okay, let's take that at face value by your own authority because you've decided so. But then you're even inconsistent with yourself. It still looks like hypocrisy right. to say it's like even a step further back than by whose authority. It's like, OK, well, if we're going to go with your authority, can you at least be the same from one minute to the one next? minute to the next? And, and you brought that up with the, the constitutional thing. You know? Yeah. Well, it's a living document. Well, no, it's settled law. Well, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and what are your judicial principles? I think that's a fair question. Now, but it's it's, it's interesting to me, like you're talking about uh, this whole notion by whose authority. Well, if we're all our own authority, then there is no authority. Right. Then it comes down to that's what chaos is. And and in fact, the next program we're going to do is what does it mean to be a Christian in the middle of this chaos? But today, just kind of unpacking that, um, when you start to ask the question by whose authority, that's the main issue in a lot of these issues that are out there. And so. So even good politics respects voc- the vocation of others and proper lines of authority. Um, there's all kinds of issues out there like CRT and the sexual orientation laws and all this. But a lot of these questions go down to by whose authority. And when you start to look at how the Bible unpacks this, the, the authority of the Bible talks about God's authority, the moral authority, the, the Ten Commandments, the church, the family, and the government in that order. And so let's just jump right in, because I think when we start to ask these questions by whose authority, you start to see some major differences or some major shifts in our culture today. And we want to address that and talk about how we can deal with that. First of all, the Judeo-Christian biblical view is that God's law is the authority, if you will. God ordered the world. He created it. He ordered it. In fact, we have this creed called the Apostles' Creed, and we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, I, I, I try to explain that to people. It's, it's maker and owner and orderer of heaven and earth. It's his world, not our world. But he created us and he blesses us and he wants us to know his love and his grace and his peace. So the Judeo-Christian view is that God's law is the authority and it's authoritative for everybody and it's a good thing. But God doesn't just write that in the Bible. He writes it in our hearts. He even writes it in how we see how nature is. And that's why there's this thing called the conscience. And the Bible actually says God put that conscience in every person's heart. So even non-Christians, not people don't even believe in the Bible. They have a sense that there's a thing called right and wrong. What I find interesting in my work in D.C. is that the Founding Fathers, I've been reading a lot about the Founding Fathers, they actually believed that no law, no man-made law could violate the spirit or the letter of the Ten Commandments. So in that sense, if you wanted a just law, it had to reflect the Ten Commandments in some form or fashion. Well, look what we're at today. I mean, not only are we violating them, we're doing it gleefully. And and so again, uh, what does that mean? Well, it, what it means is that we invite chaos into our lives. But by whose authority? So that's the biblical kind of worldview. 
And by the way, there are a lot of other moral worldviews that align with that biblical worldview. They may not even be Christian, but they share that same uh, moral view. In fact, that's not exclusive to Christians, folks. The moralness of the world is not exclusive to us. What's exclusive is how God saves the world and the proclamation of how God saves the world through his son, Jesus Christ. But the moralness of the world, there's a lot of other religious traditions that have, you know, reflect similar uh, Ten Commandments views of things. So that's that's something to keep in mind, too. There's a sociological reality to this moralness, too, out there, not just a theological one. But people today are asserting a whole different set of, of, of guidelines for this. Personal feelings. Um, and ultimately, or the coercive power of the state, that's the one that scares me the most that we deal with a lot in D.C. And that's where they just say, well, if all of us agree to this, well, then that's the rule. Well, 50 million Frenchmen can be wrong. Do you remember that phrase? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, founding father, the founding fathers actually protected us from the tyranny of democracy and the tyranny of monarchy because they knew that broken, sinful people, even all together, could do the wrong thing, and that would be a really bad thing indeed. So... Some of the things to think about, by whose authority? That's the big question under all the other questions. And so if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be human? Uh, Yeah, there's some biological realities to that, but there's also some biblical realities to that, some moral realities to that. And you have to ask, by whose authority? I mean, we're not animals. I hate to say this. You know, we've convinced ourselves that we're just animals along the line of other animals. Well, then we shouldn't be surprised when people act like animals. But we're not. We're human beings. In fact, the Bible teaches that, but also the founding fathers understood that. They said, because you're created in the image of God, you're, you're a different being, and that's what also undergirds our, our rights. So all this stuff is together. What is a man? What is a woman? By whose authority? Other questions. And I mean, by whose authority do you abort another human being? Uh, by whose authority do you mass quarantine people and then find out that you just did it whimsically? Um, mm. Yeah. How about that? We just went through that. By whose authority do you rewrite the realities of male and female? Uh, the reality of uh, the entity of the family, which I call the trinity of civility. You can't have a culture without healthy families, but we're trying. And then uh, just the whole racialized reality that now supposedly uh, is coming to be this way of looking at truth, where we start to, instead of looking at the content of our character, which is a moral way of looking at human beings, now it's our outward appearances and, and our groupedness. So that's the question for today. Says who? Um, I don't know about you, Dave, but you know that a lot of times when I try to share the things of the Bible, they look at me like, "Who do you think you are?" <laughs> right. And yeah. We, you know, I get why people say that, right? You know, sometimes Christians come off like know-it-alls. We know, we we know who we are. And when someone says, "Who do you think you are?" I go, "I'm just like you." <laughs> well, so I so here's how that strikes me, though. I don't think Christians come off any more so as know-it-alls than. Government bureaucrats, yeah, that's a good or point. Or other people who are promoting uh, the kinds of groupthink that you alluded to. Yeah, um, I I don't think a lot of those folks really believe in the autonomy of every human's authority that we can all be a law unto ourselves. I really think, to be honest, and 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 I'd like your opinion on this. Okay, that uh, particularly government types, but also uh, people who are just um, you know would would think of themselves as opinion shapers and, you know, cultural movers and shakers, I, I really feel like they would like to be the authority that oh, would no like doubt. to tell the rest of us what to do. They don't really believe in the, you know, autonomy where every human was their own authority. 
would be anarchy, actually, taken right. to its logical extension, and that wouldn't work either. But I don't think they really want that. I really think they want a small group of people in control of all of the rest of us to tell us what to do and what to think and what to speak and what to say and what to believe and what to yeah. wear and what not to wear. Yeah, you're right. I think what's interesting is when I even, maybe it's self-deprecating because I say, well, you know, sometimes Christians come off this way. Generally, Christians don't come off this way. Most of the Christians I I know, they, they know they're not perfect. They know that they don't have all the answers. There's a certain humility. Um, if, if there's an arrogance about them, it, it's usually... Uh, it's usually going against their character. It's not something in line with their character. The kind of things you're talking about are people who think, no, I'm an elite, I know all this stuff, and I know better than everybody, and so I'm going to tell them what to do. You know, when you look at, like, Mao Zedong and what he did in in China, literally a billion people dressed the same way. (laughs) Now, think Mm -hmm. about that. They, they, They went to their school camps, they went to their education camps, they all came out thinking the same way. The state does everything right. And, that, you know, Mussolini did that. Mao did that. Hitler was trying to do that. And now we've got even what I call secular elites in our country. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Woodrow Wilson wanted to pack the court back in the day. Now, he's the most racist president we've ever had. Um, and, and we've always been fighting Woodrow Wilson types in our country. But he wanted to pack the court. And the reason why is he said he didn't think the legislative process was good for modern people. We have smart people now, he said. People really get this. You know, they believe in the biological evolution of the species and that there's some species that are better than others. And so we're the elites. He happened to think he was one of the elite. And we'll get nine more of them, maybe 15 more of them, and they'll take care of all of our needs. That's why I'm so scared about court packing. Uh, and we think judicial <laughs> activism is a new thing. Right. This, is, this has been going on for some time. So again, I think you're absolutely right. There's always that tendency. And as Christians, we know it's because of our sinfulness. All of us, if we had the opportunity to have absolute power, would do absolutely what's in our best interest, not what is in the interest of others, and surely not what's faithful to God. That's, and the founding fathers got that, and that's why they bound power, and they actually set motivated Christian people free, motivated by their religion and things like that. So I think you're right. I think they, the folks that we're dealing with, especially on the Hill, they they think they know better than you, and they're going to tell you that, and and if they have the power, they'll enforce that way of thinking on you, whether you like it or not. And but, I think that's where the real arrogance is, is, right. is among that group. So when you stand up as a Christian and say, well, no, 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 you're not the authority. But guess what? I'm not the authority either. There's the, God is that's the authority right. above both of us, right, above right, all right, of us. Right. So it's, it's not me pitting my morality against yours. This is me trying to speak for uh, what the Bible has revealed to us, right. uh, God's revealed word and revealed will to us. He's the authority, and it, I, I think that's when they turn around and say, well, no, 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 you're being arrogant. You're yeah. the arrogant one right. because they see it as this kind of— Well, it challenges. It, it, challenge, yeah, it, challenges, it challenges both of our autonomies. Right. Yeah, it challenges yeah, exactly. both of them. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit too because I'm going to say why I think that's hard to do uh, in just a minute. But you know, back to this whole thing about by whose authority, just to let you know— um, they even did this to Jesus. So, you know, uh, that, I guess that means it. why should we think it'll be any different for us? But in Luke chapter 20, even the church of Jesus' day, the Pharisees challenged him when he was teaching in the temple. Now, think about the whole point of the temple. The whole point of the temple was to remind people that God was going to come in the flesh. He was going to temple among them. He was going to have a real presence among them. So here comes Jesus. I call him the temple with feet 
because he's actually the fulfillment of all those temple prophecies, and he's speaking in the temple, and they say, by whose authority do you do this? You right. know? And it's yeah. like, this temple was actually supposed to reflect me. That's by who authority. But it's, it's interesting. So they challenge him. And I don't want to get into the whole story there, but you can look that up in Luke chapter 20. But then at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says something incredible. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, again, he talks about fulfilling the Father's law. He talks about fulfilling the laws of God and then saving, but all it's all with his and by his authority. So that's something to keep in mind, like you were just talking about, Dave, is that, you know, we're not, we're not talking about our authority. And, and sometimes this authority that we're talking about, it actually challenges us and it conforms us and it calls us to account. And, and I think that's why it's hard to share with others because others can then say to you, well, you're no different than I am. You're no better than I am. And the answer to that is you're right. It's fundamentally true. That's right. In my humanity, that's absolutely true. As a that's matter right. of fact, if that wasn't true, I would not need Christ as my Savior. That's right. That's right. So again, as we talk about this by whose authority, this is why we've got to get engaged with all this stuff, because it's God's authority, and God wants what's best for human beings, even if they don't understand that. So again, the American experiment, you know, in this country, one of the cool things about living here is that America has always understood that there are two authorities in our lives. There's the authority of the church and the authority, and I mean real public authority of the state. But here comes something really controversial. Ready? The First Amendment demonstrates which one has preeminence, and they said it's the church. That's what's amazing to me, because we've forgotten that. Um, on my Liberty Alert program, we're starting to re- that we're winning some constitutional cases and getting back to the original meaning of the First Amendment, which was protecting the church from the state. Right. And, and so the Founding Fathers thought faith— setting free people free to, you know, love one another because they were motivated by their faith and they were self-disciplined and seeking to live virtuous lives. They thought setting that person free from state control was the best way to live this side of heaven, if you will. And so I think that's what's amazing is they actually understood there's two authorities, but they put them in, in, a, in the relationship of putting the state on the bottom and the church on the top. And in, so things like, you know, uh, issues like family, sanctity of life, you shouldn't murder, relationships, marital fidelity, the value of your good name, your public character, all those were church issues. And if the state got involved in those and started telling the church what to do, the church pushed back and said, no, we're the moral conscience. Um, now, what was given to the state? Well, biblically, what was given to the state was uh, the coercive power of the sword to basically keep the you know temporal peace and 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 maintain outward justice and civility. And that's that's their main limited biblical role. And the founding fathers put that in our constitution. I don't know if you heard this, but I love the Denzel Washington. So you know, again, when it comes to these things, we got to. Different, we got to understand and differentiate these things because that's the truth. And I love what Den- someone was trying to pin him down, and they said, uh, you know, basically they wanted him to say, you know, you're black, so you got to be a Democrat, right? They wanted him to just say it, and he just he wouldn't get caught into this nonsense because he's a pretty traditional guy in a lot of ways. And he said, um, I tell people, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. 
But if you do read the newspaper, here it comes. Ready? You're misinformed. <laughs> did you Did you hear that? I didn't hear that. But okay, that's, a, that's an excellent quote. And that's a great a, way to put yeah, it. Yeah, and he said, and and then he, he he turned it back on this person who was just trying to goad him into something. He said, "That's the problem today. You're not really worried about the truth. You just want to get a gotcha thing, and you want to get it to press fast, or you want to have some juicy tidbit, get it to press fast, even if you find out later it's wrong." And he said, we, we can't have that. You've got to do a better job of that. And then we need to live by the truth. I just thought, wow, what a, what a powerful, powerful thing. So when it comes to these things like virtue, benevolence, service, the church defines this. And, and again, all this is backwards today. And, and, and we're not going to get into all this today, but you know, things like the Obergefell ruling was that whole thing about gay marriage. Those of us who are against that particular ruling— whether you believe this is marriage or that is marriage or the Bible's view of marriage or your view of marriage, we're just saying the state doesn't define marriage. And once it starts to define marriage, it actually asserts something it has no right to assert. And, and that's why the Loudon thing, remember in, in, in Virginia where these parents said, you're not going to sexualize my kids, man. You're not going to teach that to a third grader. You don't have, can you imagine some of these things that they're teaching to second and third graders today? We would call that child abuse back in the day. If you had, a, if you had some guy in a trench coat outside telling those same things to those second graders, we would arrest that guy and throw him in, 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 the, in the clink. And now we're saying, but a teacher can teach that in the classroom. And you say back in the day, but back in the day, not even that long ago. We're not talking about 50 years ago. That's, yeah. I, I feel like even more recently than that. We had more common sense than that. Yeah, I w- yeah, sanctified common sense. And so, uh, you know, but you know, Dave, back to what you were talking about, uh, people who kind of feel like they're the authority. This is what also got me. In my work in D.C., I do see this all the time. In fact, the Speaker of the House said this. Um, someone asked her, you know, if you're a Catholic and you teach these things that are really against Catholic teaching, do you feel like you can go to communion? I mean, aren't you, uh, you know, out of— And she said, I- I'll decide whether I go to communion or not. And I wanted to say, no, Madam Speaker, you don't make that decision. This is God's church. It's God's teaching. And God invites on his own terms. And if you violate clear things like that, I just thought it was how arrogant. But she thought she was saying something beautiful. And I thought, no. And, and that's the kind of thing we see, in, in uh, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in Washington. And we see it on both sides of the aisle, too. So I'm not going to—but at least— Ma'am, we don't necessarily see it the same way on both sides of the aisle. I love what Chesterton said about the, how politics won't save us. He said, because the liberals keep you know, making bad laws and the conservatives keep conserving them. <laughs> I think he's got it right. And, you know, I sometimes go to the Republican platform and I say, you know, yeah, they got some really good things on there. You know, that's what the state's supposed to do. But then they don't do them. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my beef with them. But but again, even the new rules of the game, I see laws are for some people, laws are not for other people. By whose authority? All right. So we've kind of stated there is a problem. So how can how can we respond to this? I'm just going to give you a couple of things to think about. The first thing is I, I just think and this undergirds everything. Pray, learn, pray, act. And what I mean by that is come to the Bible prayerfully. Prayerfully means that you're open to it being fed by it rather than looking for what, I don't know if it was Mark Twain that said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the loopholes or something. I don't know, someone said that. Why are you reading the Bible? I'm looking for the loopholes. No, don't come with that attitude. Come with a prayerful attitude with your hands wide open because, you know, God loves you even when he tells you something that might, you know, challenge you or, or shake you to your core. And that's what was so distressing. I read an article 
Um, parents lack a biblical worldview, and it puts uh, children at a spiritual disadvantage. Barna, and this is polling Bible-believing Christian people. This isn't just polling, you know, the general populace. And he was talking about, in, in this, they found out that a lot of people don't even know what the Christian worldview is or don't even think the Ten Commandments are authoritative in their lives, and yet they claim to be Christian. That I think if, if we're going to start, you know, getting into this by whose authority, the first thing we should know is why the, the, the Scripture's authority and its message is so powerful in our own lives. And I think, you know, we can't let someone else do that work for us, right? Well, right. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, maybe. I've, I've heard a lot of people say, well, that's part of it has to do with the darkness of the culture itself. Part right. of it has to do with the seeker-sensitive church movement, making, you know, Jesus your best buddy and your life coach. Right. Uh, <laughs> some of that might be, life coach. That, that might all go together, too, <laughs> toward, toward making people not believe in Jesus as He's thorough, thoroughly voice, other. Yeah. He is. He is not us. He is. He is God. He is man. He is. He is the perfection of both. But he is not just like me. He's not somebody I right. can come to and approach capriciously or or carelessly. Right. Um, he is God, and and I think that's what we've lost is that sense of wonder, that sense of awe, right. and that sense of the fact that he didn't come to make good people better. He came to make sick people well, to make dead people alive, right? Uh, Absolute. You know, uh, to make really bad, sinful people into righteous, redeemed people because of his volition and his action and, and his righteousness, not mine. Well, to cover them with goodness and then finally transform them so that they can be, you know, can reflect his righteousness in eternity. Exactly. You know, the, right. the original, one of the biggest, you, you brought something up, and this just jumped right on me, is that the big controversy in the early church was they wanted to make Jesus um, just a human being who had godly powers. And, and that was the Arian controversy, and the whole Nicene Creed was written against Arius. But it, it sounded so good. It, like Jesus was kind of like a superhero, you know, and, and you could be a superhero too. He, he has the cape, and if you get you know, anointed by the same spirit that Jesus did, you could be the superhero Jesus. And there's a lot of religions like that too, you know. And they, they, they said God just gives you a little measure of his power and blah, 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 blah. Well, that was the Arian controversy, and so they were saying Jesus is just like us, which the Bible does say he was fully human, but he's also fully God. I mean, it's a miraculous thing to say. We don't know how to understand that. He's both. You know, both and. So he's powerful enough to save, and he's just like us, so he can save us in our place. But it's both, and we've always struggled with he's either one or he's either other. And the first controversy was they made him truly human, like our best buddy, our life coach, and and you can have his cape too. <laughs> nah, he's your savior. I can never be that good. Yeah. I'm just going to put it out there <laughs> well, right now. And that's I why, can never be that good. Well, and you know, that's why pastors wear robes. Did you know this? We wear, <laughs> no, this is serious. This is the way, because people always ask, why do you wear a robe? And I say, you know, is it so you can look really cool and hip? No, I mean, it actually, people tease us for that. Um, but the Bible says that you're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only reason he saves, you're saved. It's not because you're good enough to be saved. It's that he covers you with his righteousness as a gift. And so pastors wear that so that you don't forget you got one on too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why we do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so back to this, what should we do? Um, well, 
we Lutherans have a way of saying it, we read Mark and inwardly digest it. So treat the, your, your time in the Scripture, treat your time at church as like you're devouring the best meal you could ever devour. I mean, th- treat it that way, and then begin to realize that that's going to move you to action. So you're constantly pray, learn, pray, act, pray, learn, pray, and act, but it's always rooted in that authority of the Scripture. And then one of the things we do in culture is we fight for the liberty to be the church for the sake of others. And right now, there are people who think they know better than even the Bible itself. You're right, Dave. They, they think they're the authorities, and the Bible actually gets in their way, so they want to make sure that that thing has less and less of a voice in culture. So we Christians are going to have to actually fight for the right to have this voice, and we're not usually that good at fighting for the right reasons. We fight for the wrong reasons sometimes, but fighting to keep the voice of the gospel alive. You know, the Virginia Values Act, which is also akin to this federal law called the, the Equality Act, it weaponizes the attorney general of the state to actually go in uh, to parochial schools if if someone's offended by their teaching of marriage or offended by their teaching of sexual practice. If the parent is or the child is in any way, the attorney general can come and bring uh, charges against your poor little parochial school. That that should scare everybody. That we've got thought police like that that are that are weaponizing government to that degree. So again, we push back on that, and then you know proclaim. Maybe the, that's not a good word because proclaim sounds so like I'm in charge. I'll tell you what to do now. Learn how to assert or learn how to share God's clear word in a way that other people can understand. Um, Because God's moral ordering of the world uh, is for the sake of the world. And so the state can't save you. Uh, One of the things we teach in our work in, in D.C. is good politics can't save us. It can, you know, keep things civil. But bad politics can destroy us. So we got to work hard on that. And so and then so engage yourselves in these state things and, you know, voting and all that to keep the state in its place, to keep the church free. But then on the personal level, you know, get involved in people's lives. Try to live, you know, under the authority and under the power of the scripture and and try to be one who can share that. Speak the truth in love type of thing. You know, Dave, this is where Marie, you know, I wish she was here because I've always said, She's got a natural affinity to do this, to on a personal level, to actually model and speak this truth in a way where people go, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because when I do it, they always look like at me, by whose authority? <laughs> 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 Who do you think you are? And I don't I always go, How do you get away with that? I mean, you said the same thing that I said, but they went, <laughs> Thank you. I'll I'll think about that. And you've really made my day and you've given me something to think about. And and I always go, How she just had I don't know if it's because people trust her, they they have a natural affinity, or she she has she deeply uh, cares or is interested in people, but they, she's always been like that. At that personal level, being willing to actually say, This is God's word, it's God's authority, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing for you, and I'll walk alongside you with that. Um, That's the thing that we all as Christians need to realize. We've been given that task to be uh, vessels of his his beautiful word. I do know it's a challenge, though. Um, That's what I said, you know, when we talk about Christians saying, well, but if I say God's moral ordering of the world or the Ten Commandments, um, I'm just as broken as they are. What if they say, who do you think you are? And then they say, you're no better than us. And the answer to that is, you're right, and it's still, but it's still God's moral ordering, and it's God's beautiful thing for both of us. I struggle with this because I'm coming up, trying to come up with images that, that help people see this. Um, 
one of the ways that I've come up is Chesterton. I read a lot of Chesterton now. He was he was a, a, a moral voice in culture, a gospel voice in culture back in England. Uh, even C.S. Lewis came to faith reading Chesterton. So if you know who C.S. Lewis is. Um, Chesterton said it this way. He said, I didn't like Christianity when I was young. He was kind of an agnostic. And I think I've said this before. But he said, because I didn't like Christianity because it seemed like the church, and now he knows it was God, but put barriers down where I didn't want them. I kept running into these barriers, um, whether they're moral barriers or whatever. He said, until I realized that God put those barriers there so that freedom could run wild, and we could run from freedom to eternal freedom. And so you, you think about that for just a minute. If the, if I, I thought about the, the um, horses on the plane, the Mustangs running free on the plane. If the fence isn't by the cliff or the lights are turned off, they're not running. They stop, and they're just kind of making their way, hoping they don't fall over the cliff. But you put the fences in the proper place, you turn the lights on, and wang. They, you, know, they're just, you can see the wind in their manes and that kind of thing. And that's the picture we've got to paint, even to the people who say, by whose authority you are no better than me. So, you know, when it's all said and done, I, I, I love this challenge, if you will, to hear that, by whose authority? And then to take on that challenge of saying, well, let me tell you the authority uh, of these words and why they're so beautiful for you. And I think the final thing is take ownership of living that moral, virtuous life in the lives uh, of those you love, in the lives uh, of those in your neighborhood, and realize that these moral principles, too, have a purpose in you know, the civilizing of our culture today, too. You know, one last thing, I was just thinking about this, Sunday school, uh, I, I don't know in your tradition how important Sunday school is or not important Sunday school is, but in the Lutheran tradition back in the day, it was offensive if you took your kids to Sunday school. Did you know that? Because if you had to have somebody else teach your child the moral things of the Scripture and the, and the gospel things of the Scripture, you were, as a parent, deficient. And so this idea of dropping my child off to let somebody else teach them, that was just not in our tradition. And so it was we, like an abdication. Almost. Right. We were abdicating our role as families. Yeah. And as, as parents, and, and I, you can see it today, too, with education. I mean, most parents don't even know what their kids are learning anymore. Back in the day, we felt like it was our responsibility to even teach them mathematics and science and those things, or at least to have a, a sense of the moral view of those kinds of, of disciplines as well. And so, again, when you think about it, uh, it sounded like a great thing. You know, Sunday school, we'll pick the kids up and do it. But then it became, we'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. And in our in our tradition, that we we were like, no, you you do that. And so I even in, with my father, I went to adult Bible class with my father, oh, even wow. when I was okay. a child. I just had to actually not, you know, I had to be quiet. <laughs> 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 but I learned things, you know, by whose authority. So in the end, I'll just tell you, Caesar thinks he has all the authority. Uh, a lot of times, these politicians think they have all the authority. A lot of times, these educrats think they have all the authority. Um, in John chapter 18, Pilate said to Jesus, you know, I can do whatever I want to you. That's a paraphrase. I can do whatever I want to you. And even Jesus at the point of the cross, and he knew he had to go to the cross for the sake of the world, he says, uh, you, can't, you can only do what you've been given to do. And so to that degree, go out with that, that positive view of God being at work in the world. He's the one whose authority is still at work in the world, and it preserves his authority saves, and I think it's a beautiful thing for us to learn how to be useful in his hands. And so Marie would close us this way, saying, remember there are two kinds of fire in the world, and I'd say the one that burns and the one that empowers. May God's word and God's love burn brightly in you, giving you strength to face any fire. Till next time, little embers keep burning. I'm Greg. See you soon. 
Through the Fire is a production of Family Vision Media. FamilyVisionMedia.org.